My name is Alex Kashuta, and this is the Subversive Podcast. It's an excuse for me to talk to some of the most interesting people on the heterodox to heretic spectrum. Everyone from iconoclast philosophers to rogue scientists to real post-BuzzFeed journalists and our true intellectual elite, Twitter anonymous accounts. In short, they're quite subversive. Enjoy. Today, I'm joined by The Distributist. Um, the Distributist it has an excellent YouTube channel that covers um, political philosophy, uh, cultural commentary uh, from, is it fair to say, a neo-reactionary perspective? Well, that's kind of odd. Uh, originally, I was trying to do a more Catholic social justice perspective, but the questions people, the questions people kept on bringing to me largely focused on politics. And so I, I found myself drawing more and more on NRX stuff like Spandrel and Mencius Smolbug and uh, people like Nick Land to answer those questions. I think that NRX has a lot of flaws to it. And what's sort of strange is that my most popular videos have been about NRX, but I'm not unaware of the flaws of neo-reaction, not least of which because I think it's fundamentally blind to spirituality. Most people these days kind of come out for me because they think NRX is a quietist philosophy that just cedes power to the enemies of, of, of those it represents. But, uh, but, you know, I'm not unaware of the flaws of NRX. I certainly wouldn't have called myself an NRX thinker. But I guess because I always discuss it, that's kind of what I'm known for these days. Yeah, yeah, it's a. It does seem like you know once once someone speaks um, openly about either Moldbug or Nick Land or uh, you know kind of addresses this space head on, it it does seem that people tend to tend to lump you in with NRX. I mean, I, I've I've been described as an as an NRX adjacent person, but it's just I mean I've I've been interested in these ideas and I've spoken about them a few times. I mostly speak about dating and stuff, but apparently uh, I am <laughs> NRX adjacent uh, now because I'm I'm mold bug curious. But that's 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 what you get, you know, by putting your your finger in the cookie jar. Dating? Have you gone on uh, LA? Um, LP and Annika Skywalker's stream. They, they do this like dissident dating kind of, uh, channel that I, that they seems like they have everyone on their show at some stage. Yeah, I have. I've gone on there. Oh, you have. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, okay. <laughs> it was really fun. And yeah, what, what did we talk about? Dating. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I, I've never made, I never made a single, people ask me in life all the time about dating tips, but I, I typically don't have very much to say. <laughs> Well, it's, you know, once once you give someone um, a bit of information about something that is useful to their lives, you know, they, they come back for more. I think there's just, there's some, you know, idea that uh, a, a fountain of, of wisdom, you know, is, is it never runs dry. And, you know, whoever figured yeah. out political philosophy must know something about everything else <laughs> as well. So, uh, but you do know a lot about political philosophy. And you've also debated a lot of... Um, what should I call them? You know, internet luminaries, um, the uh, contrapoints. Oh my God, Bosch, <laughs> Sargon. Well, I, I, w 
Sarga and I are pretty good friends. You know, I, I consider us to be friends. Uh, Vosh, I think I just I, I stormed off. I didn't storm off, but I, I basically quit that debate because I, I saw it as an ambush and is completely bad faith. And I have never had a reason to reconsider that conclusion. And uh, yeah, I mean that's kind of that's kind of the long and the short of it. Uh, Contrapoints. I'm kind of amazed I even got a quote unquote debate with them. It was more of a discussion. I think the reason why I got that discussion was that ContraPoints, their background was New Atheism. And New Atheists were just convinced that Christians and Catholics were utter idiots. So while ContraPoints would have been very guarded against someone like Sargon of Akkad, I'm sure they thought that, oh, we'll get the stupid Christian on and I'll just be able to repeat Dan Savage talking points about the sexual revolution and I'll just fold. And I could tell by the end of the conversation, it hadn't gone the way that ContraPoints had thought it would go. So, yeah, I mean, this is sort of an interesting thing. I, initially, when I started this channel, the, the, the point of YouTube was conversation. The point of YouTube was to have a dialectic with the left, have a dialectic with the, I forget what they call themselves back in 2016, not the liberalists yet. The anti-SJW crowd, perhaps, cultural libertarians. The point was to have a conversation. But these days, I don't think that's the case. I think that there's sort of a demand for two things. There's sort of this demand for streaming, the sort of parasocial performance art. And then there's a need for answers. And the need for answers is particular on the right because the left and the progressive left seem like they have pre-made answers for everything. And I'm much more interested in the latter of those two demands than I am the former, although I indulge the former occasionally. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely what your your channels, uh, you know, structured as, you know, definitely a, a, a kind of question and answer uh, format. But um, I think I think your sound is still a little bit a bit off because oh, it goes no. goes really <laughs> silent and then it, it pops into like very loud. I'm not sure how that gets onto a recording, but I can imagine it's probably the same. All right, we'll try try this mode on the microphone if this is a little bit better. Yeah, I think let's just try it because um um I don't know it it just goes in and out so that's why. We'll okay, I'll try to I'll try to orient this very steadily here. Okay. Oh, worst, yeah. worst case, we'll try fix this. it in post. I mean, I can hear you. It's just the loudness goes up and down. I guess that's a, okay. An audacity thing that may be fixable. Cool. Um, yeah. So, so where were we? Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the debates, um, I'm curious, what do you think the, the current, um, atmosphere is like in the dissident circles, uh, on, on YouTube? I know you haven't been as active as you used to be. Uh, you hmm. used to be ultra prolific. Now you're just like plain prolific because you still post most <laughs> more than most people. Um, but, um, Kind of what's what's your feeling about um, what what is the current face of of you know the dissident right online because there's been a lot of changes. Yeah, I think that I think that we're bottoming out on a lot of debates, and this is sort of I am um, I've kind of switched from being and I haven't made a switch completely yet, but this is going to happen. Is I'm going to be less of a um, YouTuber, I think, and more of someone who writes Substack posts and then reads them on YouTube and, and probably no one will notice the difference too much because I write the way that I speak, at least on this topic. 
but the reason why is that I want to have the post in writing because I feel like the real thing that needs to happen right now is people just need to kind of bottom out on a lot of these conversations. People need to just have the controversy laid bare. Okay, these are the two sides and we don't need to spend additional time and effort endlessly rehashing this again and again and again. And there are so many illusions, I think, that the right was under since 2016. They were factually right about an enormous number of things. The futility of Republican politics and conservative politics generally. The, the basic mendacity of mainstream institutions and the untrustworthiness of trying to interact with them in some kind of dialectic. But there is this bizarre impression post-2016, and this is obviously due to Trump, that you could kind of win by developing social media clout. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous when I talk about this in hindsight, but you know, people believe that. And you know, now we're kind of coming to the end of that. And people are wondering, okay, so what's the next step? What's the way forward? How can you even interact in a meaningful way with a mainstream that's so unafraid of using power against you? It doesn't seem like the mainstream is sustainable at all. That's sort of the the silver lining is that this this thing, Joe Biden, he he feels, and not just Joe Biden, but the the entire mainstream that he represents, it feels like a declining and diseased power structure. It, it's it's sort of almost I wouldn't say it, it's tyrannical, but 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 it, it's sort of desperate in its la, in its in its declining period. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it Brezhnevian, but you get that sort of sense from it. And so it's apparent, it does seem apparent to me or a lot of people that, you know, this is not something we might have to deal with forever, but there's no understanding of what will come next. And there's not a good understanding of what people who consider themselves distance should do next. Certainly not any kind of popular activism. That path seems completely closed. But if not that, then what? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's definitely on the list of questions I had for you. So I love that you've posed it first. Um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're more of a, a veteran of these spaces than I am. I just kind of like barged into whatever the dissident right is, um, at the mm -hmm. moment. And, um, it's, it's really interesting and it's exciting and it's changing by the day. Um, I don't have a sense of perspective. I don't necessarily know what happened before last September. <laughs> so uh, now I'm just like, oh, okay. I'm, like every day I kind of discover another like, you know, oh, you, sh you should have read this forum thread five years ago. Here it is. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this is this is heavy stuff, guys. <laughs> so um, it's, uh, it is really interesting. But to me, it feels like, I don't know, it's an echo chamber probably, but it feels like things are kind of accelerating and not necessarily in, in like an accelerationist direction, but the, the fraying and the, the, the fragility of the, of the, you know, so-called cathedral seems to be more and more obvious. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, if that's, uh, should make me hopeful because it seems like they're overplaying their hand. Um, or if it's, uh, if it's just, you know, this is, this is when the behemoth wakes up and, you know, swats with, with increased vigor, um, yeah. and, and that's it. It's very hard to interpret that. I mean, uh, with your timeline being, being here, having been here for a longer time, like what's, what's your, uh, what's your take on the temperature at the moment? Well, right now people are really exhausted and they're really tired of politics 
And so I don't know. Again, this isn't really a prediction. This is more or less just an instinct. But I get the sense that no one's really going to start anything this summer or this year. But I think the general problem is that we just don't have a dialectic of any kind that people believe in. No one thinks that the Republican Party or conservatives are any kind of serious political force. Uh, They're a joke. And that's it creates a problem for the left, too, because that's sort of what sells this radicalism, right? It, it basically allows the progressives, the Democrats, who are establishmentarians, I hope that's the right word, that are establishment men and women at their core, it allows them to essentially recruit radicals and anarchists as their base. Because there's this evil boogeyman called the Republican that's constantly threatening to gain power and, I don't know, take away their gay pride parades or something. And that's not really something that any serious person believes in anymore. I'm sorry. And I I know it can be cynically exploited, but no one seriously believes it. And so what you're going to have is you're going to have the anarchists and the communists start asking hard questions about well, what can we expect going forward actually implementing communism? And the response from their leaders is, we don't have any plan to implement communism, give us money. And on the democratic side, it's going to be an attempt to consolidate this woke ideology into the educational institutions. But when they do that, I don't know. First of all, I think it weakens, I think it weakens the, uh, the coherency of our, our entire national narrative. But at the same time, it also makes them seem uh, like, well, I'll repeat this. It makes them seem like Brezhnevian bureaucrats. It makes them seem like they're repeating some kind of revolutionary ideology from 30 years ago, and they're trying to institutionalize it. They're trying to institutionalize a revolutionary ideology that was, when it was at all fresh, necessarily something that could at least pretend to be a distant ideology. And so I just see that both of these sides are going to kind of creak in their foundation. And I think a lot of people are going to begin questioning this. I'm not so sure how the right's going to react to this. I think the, the suggested realignment, always prophesized, but still with a lot of problems, is that sort of the old school labor Marxists are going to split off from the left and are going to head towards not necessarily the right wing, but something that we could call the post left which will include what are now considered right-wingers. And this will become the new dissident sphere. And then neoliberals will be a consolidated mass behind the Democratic Party, sort of the progressives slash Joe Biden types. Um, yeah, I don't know. The difficulty, obviously, is, is that uh, I think very few leftists, labor types, are aware enough to understand the situation that they're in. They, they, they're too caught up. You'll hear, I mean, I know this is a true in, in Britain, you can see equivalents in America. I don't know why I'm thinking of the British example, but you'll see old labor types still complain about Margaret Thatcher, like their actions against Margaret Thatcher's actions against coal strikers in like 1982. <laughs> that's, you know, that's like going on almost 40 years right now. <laughs> I mean, and, and this is where people, but this is sort of where these, the, the, the left is in charge and therefore the people that leave its coalition basically are the the people that it no longer needs because they're too weak or they're too disconnected to actually get anything done on the left. 
So I don't know. I think that's that's where that's where the popular movement's going. Uh, for myself, for the intellectuals, I think that's kind of what we need to do is we just need to kind of shake things up. Just I think so much stuff is wrong with how we see and act in the present world that I think we just need to sort of take a radical reset and and really let our imaginations run wild for a little bit. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of. I mean, maybe maybe I'm, I'm patting myself on the back too much being part of this group, but you know, there's just quite a a, a post liberal, post left moment kind of um, amalgamating in some in some groups now, um, and like you said, it's uh, partly it's kind of you know straight up Mar Marxist, you know, even like Trotskyites uh, who who are have have spun off from from the the mainstream left. Um, and it's also partly people who, um, I mean, like me, I used to be pretty much, you know, libertarian, conservative, you know, then I was a bit, uh, you know, thinking about liberalism for a very long time until, mm -hmm. until my eyes glazed over and I was like, yeah, okay, this, all the scenarios playing out from this core ideology are, are, are not going to work out, you know, the way, the way their proponents, <laughs> uh, expect them to, um, but it, there is something forming and there's different strains of, of thought, you know, there's, you know, there's kind of even, even like in the Claremont Institute, there's, you know, NRX, there's um, post-liberalism on, on the left as well, you know, even like radical feminism has some kind of post-liberal strains now. There, it's just really an interesting place to be in. Um, it's not all played out on YouTube, partly on Twitter as well. You, you're not on Twitter anymore, which is, which is sad, but uh, yeah, oh. it's probably a good idea. <laughs> oh my God, I have to just recommend, I, I'm not saying... I might, I might make a, I might make, I'm, I told my wife, I might ask her to make an account that just, that just set up to automatically retweet what I put on Telegram, but I'm so glad I left Twitter. Uh, that, that is just a hell site. There's, there's just nothing good about it. It's, it's really destroying our attention spans. When you leave Twitter, you noticeably become more present in the real world. It, it sounds ridiculous, but it's absolutely true. Uh, yeah, I mean, more and more i've come to believe that politics is the root or i should say popular politics is the root of all evil and the destruction of the creative will and and the, the, that popular politics is the is the most essential piece of democracy and that has its most essential expression on twitter so i just think that twitter is this this chaotic pit it's it's exactly what the greeks talked about when they they talked about i don't exactly remember the words or they would use to describe it but they talk about uh democracy sort of um degenerating all aristocratic elements of a society slowly but surely and, and i think twitter is just it's basically that process accelerated and observable uh i i, I wouldn't imagine that future scholars behavioral scientists might be able to do some interesting analysis on on just how people behaved on Twitter across 10 years. Yeah, it is it is a, a really fascinating space. I mean, I've, I've been I'm kind of late to the party. So I'm still like, uh, to be it's still kind of fresh and new, but you're absolutely right. It's, uh, you know, I keep I keep bringing up this example, like I used to be a smoker, but Twitter doesn't compare to, you know, addiction to, to cigarettes or anything like that. It's, <laughs> I wouldn't I don't wake up at 4am with a good 
tweet or wanting to smoke, you know, but I do sometimes <laughs> I have like a, a tweet in my head and I'm like, oh, you know what, I'm not going to be able to sleep if I don't tweet this. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, it is a, I don't know, it's a, it's a beast, you know, but to be honest, like, I mean, for, in, in my case, Twitter is, Twitter is where this podcast started, Twitter is where I meet most people that come on, you know, it's, it's still very much a, a valuable place in terms of, yeah, disseminating stuff and promo and all that type of stuff. But yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's a soul thief. Yeah, it, it diminishes your personhood in, in very profound ways, like you described. Mm. Um, so I'm curious, um, in, in, at one point in your background, um, I don't know how long time ago, you had a break with the water we swim in, with liberalism. Um, curious what, what that was, you know, um, people call it, you know, the red pill moment, you know, mm. whatever, uh, you, you saw the light or you saw the darkness, depending on what your, <laughs> what your perspective is. So what happened? Well, this is kind of odd because I don't think it's the same path that most people took. Um, the it, people make fun of me for this, but if you go back and watch the first or the second video, <clears throat> pardon me, if you go back and watch the first or second video on my channel, you'll, you'll hear the lines, well, I'm committed to liberalism because I'm talking to, you know, uh, I think a, a then alt writer in an interview. And this was true and false. Uh, at that time, I was, I mean, I, I haven't really changed my opinion since that time, to be quite honest. I've changed my emphasis, but not any of my core opinions. At that time, I was, um, I was very much focused on sort of the Catholic moment that I thought was emerging. And I had, uh, I had sort of broken. I had a new atheist phase like everyone else. And uh, due to a variety of observations about the nature of reality, about the nature of philosophy, about even the nature of politics to a certain extent, I slowly abandoned the new atheism rationalist perspective and, and moved towards more of a classic Aristotelian and then eventually a Catholic conversion which is more or less where I am now in terms of core beliefs. Uh, the only thing that's changed, and, and, and this is a change in emphasis, is I think in 2016 when I started this channel, I understood that liberalism and secularism were flawed. But I had this weird, and this is very prominent in Catholic circles in America, this weird kind of fusionist perspective like, oh, yeah, we can have a little bit of liberalism and then like our core Catholic beliefs. And, and this is politically going to work because everyone will see how crazy this stuff is eventually. And they'll eventually reach for something that's more healthy, which is us. And then, you know, we'll restore sanity. After what I've seen in 2018, especially with some of the problems in the Catholic Church's political structure itself, I became much more cynical about this working out so neatly. I still... 100% believe that the Christian church, the Catholic church in its ultimate sense is going to prevail and provide something more healthy, but it's not going to be through this sort of, um, first things, uh, national review style. Oh, we're part of this conversation and we have all these rational arguments. A good, great example of a person like this would be Ryan T. Anderson. Do you know the guy? Or you've heard of him, right? No, no, I don't, I don't think I have. Uh, so Ryan T. Anderson comes from this. Um, so this is something that's not a thing in Europe, but it's very much a thing in America. So uh, 
in America, uh, probably all Europeans know about the evangelicals because they're a boogeyman in the mainstream media, right? Of course. And evangelicals kind of have their own colleges, right? Their own, they're a little bit more separatist and they're a little bit more red state. But Catholics, because of the fact that their primary immigration waves came earlier, they were sort of doing separatism a little bit before it was cool. And so, especially on the East Coast, but also on the West Coast, uh, there are tons of universities, elite universities that just have like these cadres of, of highly intellectual Catholics, uh, that kind of circulate amongst themselves and like have their own conferences and write their own publications and all this stuff. And since the 1950s, at least the direction has been 100% Catholic and 100% American. And a great example of this would be well, Ryan T. Anderson is the only one who's coming to my mind right now, but he was the primary like intellectual go-to for opposition to gay marriage. And now he's the primary intellectual go-to for opposition to transgenderism in children, particularly. Um, so so the, the idea was, well, we'll win in the marketplace of ideas. Well, just six months ago, Amazon just hard banned his book on transgenderism called when Harry became a Sally. I, maybe you saw this briefly yeah. in the headlines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it just like, it's, and you know, obviously my kind of red, I, I don't know whether I want to call this a red pill moment or not, because I can't emphasize enough how much this was not a core belief change, but an emphasis change. But, but this sort of mirrors my own disillusionment with liberalism, understanding that there isn't really a dialectic, like Ryan T. Anderson isn't hooked into the system in any way that he could win. Right. It's like he's playing some kind of um, video game competition, but his controller isn't plugged into the actual system. He, he's just banging the buttons and then the system is going to generate some predetermined conclusion, whether his arguments are good or whether his arguments are bad. There's this great um, there's this great Piers Morgan. He had a debate with Ryan T. Anderson about gay marriage and Piers Morgan wouldn't even allow Ryan T. Anderson to come to the table. He sat him in the audience and forced him to sit up and debate from the audience, which is a great symbol of the, uh, like, because the, the position against gay marriage was so, the communication was, it's not even part of the conversation. It's just something coming in from the peanut gallery, from the rabble that we have on the sides. So I don't know. This is sort of the, the rebel, the revelation that, that undergirds most red pill journeys is that Political discourse does not work the way that even taught political discourse works. It's largely a game of elites. And even if you're in the elites, you know, you're like Ryan T. Anderson and a bunch of these other Catholics that Leia Labresco is probably a more minor one that I'm a fan of. They go through Yale. They go through Harvard. They publish a lot of papers that no one ever reads. You know, they usually have degrees in economics or law or mathematics or some combination of those things. And then they, uh, no one listens to them. <laughs> they get shoved in an intellectual ghetto. And, you know, no matter how good their arguments are, they're never part of the conversation in a meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, um, this is kind of my feeling I get with, with kind of Catholic integralism and the people behind that, that movement as well. 
Um, it's, you know, it's interesting to debate in very, like, you know, in, in weird uh, corners of the internet. But, you know, if you look at, at how many views discussions about, you know, you know, interviews of Adrian Vermeule or something are getting, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's very, it's a very fringe argument, but they are still kind of allowed to, to happen in the halls of power. I mean, you know, yeah, you could be at Yale, you could be at Harvard, uh, but <laughs> you're in the broom closet and it's, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, it's a weird Well, these one. people, these people are one step back from that, right? These people were, this school of thought, they're, they are, they are 100% orthodox, but this was the school from the 1950s that said, we're not doing integralism, we're doing integration with this liberal system. And I think that is failing, and that's why Catholics are moving on to things like integralism or or just separatism, because this project has fundamentally failed in any meaningful way. So I, I think that's that, that's a distinction. I think when integralists talk, they're probably directing their their dialectic more towards people like Ryan T. Anderson. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know back. why anyone. Yeah, I don't know why anyone would follow Ryan T. Anderson's philosophy now. I mean, like, I I do appreciate his arguments and the fact that he's writing these books, but he's writing books to an audience that doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, that 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 does make uh, you know, that does ring true, uh, especially with uh, with you know this this concept of the the marketplace of ideas and um, a, a, another faction that's been really popular in, in the last years it's kind of fizzling out at the moment is the idw which is essentially um oh. you know the the poster children of the marketplace of ideas um what's uh what's your what's your temperature check on the idw where where is it been where is it going is it is it worthwhile um, <laughs> well the thing is that the people on the idw have uh i am varying temperatures on them I, I'm, I've always been very negative on the Weinsteins. I, I don't see that. I, I don't know. I, I think I might have an emotional bias against them because I see, I see them as sort of like Trotskyists a little bit. Like you know how, you know Trotsky. He 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 basically runs the Red Army and um, he runs the Red Army during Lenin and kills all these peasants, and then you know he gets exiled. <clears throat> You know, he gets exiled when Stalin takes power. And then about 10 years later, he's writing, he's writing articles that get published in American newspapers saying, Oh, well, the reason we failed is that Russian peasants were just stupid Slavs that don't know anything and are just horribly backwards people. Uh, you know, we couldn't help the communism work there. They're just horrible people, but Americans, you guys are smart. You guys could make communism work. Um, and, and, you know, it just, it just this, I, that kind of argument where, where the shepherd blames his flock is something that emotionally, you know, emotionally is really, really distasteful for me. It's kind of like that. I don't know if you, you've ever watched Disney movies, but it's kind of like the, that last, the last moments of Scar where, you know, the, from the Lion King where he tries to blame the hyenas for everything. Uh, I, I just hate that. And every time I see the Weinsteins, I, I always get that impression that these people were writing the social justice bandwagon, the progressive bandwagon, with all of the sort of cringe new atheist takes that are predicated on the same ideas. And now it's turned on them. 
and, and they got purged. And their solution is not to reexamine their assumptions behind the sort of new atheism, but simply to lament the fact that it took the next logical step in a process that was always going to happen. There was never any stable point in, in the liberal project where it would have stayed 1999 or even 2009 forever. And if you don't realize that, then I, I don't know. It, it feels like you're just complaining about your personal misfortunes and trying to, well, essentially blame the flock that you once led. Yeah, I think the 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 most um, jarring thing to me is how blind people in this situation are to their moral assumptions. Um, you know, when when you know Eric Weinstein or Brett Weinstein, who a lot of the IDW just you know talk about human rights or or things like that, you know, about about these like moral universals that, you know, come from, I don't know, Gen X sensibilities and mm. um lay them out as if they were some 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 cosmic uh, you know, logic. Um it's it's quite, you know, shocking that they don't see that, you know, this isn't cosmic logic. You know, this is just, I don't know, nineteen nineties neoliberalism that you've imbibed in and now you're presenting it as this is, you know, the gospel truth and, and it isn't. And the fact that, you know, mm. other people might not see it that way is, is, you know, might, might be shocking to them, but it's just not, uh, yeah, it's not shocking to, to the people who do see it that way, especially, you know, woke, woke people who are really in the grips of a, a very powerful moral system. Um, yeah. and you know, if if you have a system that you know ostensibly doesn't have any morals, or at least you know s says that okay, you know we're we're so pluralistic that any moral system can work within our bounds, well, you know it's it's prey to to you know predation from from a very powerful moral system, which is what we have now. Yeah, exactly, and I think this is this is this is sort of a misunderstanding of history that I, I think the conservative movement is just as guilty of as are the moderates there is sort of this whole retconning where we could convince ourselves that 90s neoliberalism and 90s liberalism was exactly what the founding fathers wanted and were expecting um this is something that i obviously get from curtis yarvin who i know you've had on your show uh but <laughs> i'm sorry about the background noise um oh, the um the i know you've had curtis yarvin on, on your show but one of his thought experiments, which is very telling, is you only know history if you can imagine what these characters would think if you brought them forward into the future. How would they react to your society? Uh, and I don't know if he said this on your show, Garvin, but he made this observation, which I think is really telling. He says, if you brought our founding fathers into the 21st century or even into the 1990s, they would take one look at the American people and say, these people are completely morally degenerate. They probably wouldn't have used the word degenerate, but they would have used some variation on these people are completely morally debased, I think would be a more 18th century way of putting it. Uh, these, they're totally incapable of Republican virtues. They need a king. And if that's their reaction, then why are we quoting these people? In defense of republicanism if they themselves knew that these ideas of liberalism and republicanism were totally contingent on some kind of moral foundation be it deist or christian even john locke thought that atheism should be completely illegal yeah 
I think you know they're they're brought out as as figureheads. You know they they're the the first domino in the in the you know so-called uh, you know founders version of, of liberalism, um, and they're they're used uh, instrumentally to 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 prop up what I, whatever is going on right now, um, and it's uh, yeah it's it's becoming quite transparent to people who know what's going on. But yeah, it's, most most people do you know I think I think most people do think that that's that's the founders vision. You know only fans. You know par- definitely part of the founder's vision um you know and, and anything that that goes down the, the 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 more freedom you know the the john stewart mill track you know pretty much the founder's vision mm-hmm. well i mean you know that's this is um this is just our own government's ability to infinitely retcon itself that was the philosophy through the 20th century is that we would use in cre- creative interpretations of certain words in order to sort of conciliate the the obvious 18th century meaning of the original constitution with what the 20th century power structures actually wanted to do i think that this this process is coming to a close so are you aware of the musical hamilton yes uh, so yeah, this is a, a musical. It's, it's really not my scene. I, I do like musicals occasionally, but I find, uh, musical nerds and the drama kids to be, or the, the people that used to be drama kids in high school to be co- totally insufferable. <laughs> so I, t- I tend to steer away from these fads, but Hamilton is a fad that has been hard to ignore because it's this, this phenomenon where, and you know, I'll explain to your listeners that they don't know what this is, that they're listening from Europe. Basically, it's a, um, uh, a musical about the founding fathers. There already has been one called 1776, but this is a new one where it's all rap and every single character, King George notwithstanding, is not white, which is funny because they all were white in reality and it focuses on Hamilton. And Hamilton's sort of this weird figure because he's sort of George Washington's brain. Uh, George Washington was the great military leader and Hamilton was the great economic visionary. And if you put them both together, you kind of get American Caesar. You get the, you get sort of the American Napoleon, the person who had a vision for what America was going to be. But in this rendition, uh, Hamilton is just like this diversocrat, right? He's like this neoliberal, uh, ultra competent black guy, uh, who, who just, you know, who, 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 who sees what America needs to become. He sees that America needs to become this cosmopolitan place and he fights for it. Uh, so, you know, and of course, this sort of strikes a sweet spot where conservatives can kind of be like, oh, wow, you know, like people are interested in liberalism again. And obviously progressives can be like, um, oh, wow, it's all it's so diverse. They don't even let white people audition for these roles. And there were, there was this, this, uh, YouTuber, um, I forget, I think it was Quentin Reviews, uh, who's like this sort of branded SJW YouTuber. And, and, and he, he makes this video and he's like, if Hamilton were here, he'd probably be really, really racist. So I don't think, I think Hamilton celebrates this in a really inappropriate way. And of course, you know, the anti-SJWs are just aghast. Oh my God. You know, how could they be so, how could they be so uh, intolerant or how could they be so doctrinaire that they don't even like their own stuff? Uh, Quentin Reviews was 100% right on this. Uh, the, 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 uh, the idea that Hamilton represents some kind of diverse reading of the Constitution that's at all stable is ridiculous. 
the idea that in Hamilton or inside any of these diverse renditions of the founding, there's going to be something that Americans can believe in that won't be immediately uprooted is ridiculous. Two years after Hamilton, the New York Times is publishing the 1619 Project, which says, and despite the fact that the New York Times unpublished this, their own statements on this fact, but the 1619 Project did say that the founding of America was in 1619 with the introduction of slavery, not in 1776. If that's the case, then what the hell is Hamilton even standing for, except an illusion that can be torn down by the next iteration of progressivism? Of course, Hamilton would have been racist. By today's standards, by today's progressive standards, every institution he created was essentially a white supremacist institution. But people believe in this. And, and I, I feel like, I feel like the joke, I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous. It's so insulting. And, and I feel sorry for the people who believe in this stuff. I feel sorry for the people who are excited about the vision that Hamilton promises people because it's, it's a gigantic lie. It's just there to get them drawn out and excited. And then in five years, they'll tear it down and call everyone who liked it racist. The logic's already there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it is interesting because I feel like it's it's fizzling out. I remember the Hamilton mania. Um, yeah. But yeah, like you said, you know, the, that's just a domino on the road. And it did have all these tendrils of, of sucking people in. Um, it was it was definitely a kind of a, a lefty type of phenomenon. I, I mean, maybe it's just me. I'm not really into musicals, but it wasn't was that attractive to me. Um, it was but, a lefty phenomenon for sure. Yeah, but there was. But, but it has. It had fans among the conservatives and the Ryan T. Anderson types. It, they saw this as, oh my god, liberalism is finally bringing us into synthesis with the mainstream, and someday our ideas of our ideals will win out. It's just, it's just a complete illusion. Yeah, uh, for for people who are kind of you know like us on 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 the dissident right, um, what what do you feel is you know a, a good strategy to simply exist at the moment? You know to you know what because I mean things things are you know the system is destabilizing. It's very hard to predict exactly mm. which way it's going to turn. Um, but you know. As I said, being being a veteran of these spaces, like what what would you counsel to 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 the noobs? What what should one do at the moment? I think you need to find things that you love, and and try to as much as possible divorce yourself from the contest to be popular. This is sort of a romantic notion, but I think that really people need to find things that they'll love and that they'll stand by even if they're on the losing side. I mean, that's kind of the definition of love anyway, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That that a thing you love is a thing that you'll stand by even if it loses or becomes unpopular. And that is that is where the foundation needs to be made. I think that, I don't know, I think that having a family or starting a family kind of refocuses you on this a little bit. Uh, I, I think... I don't know where you are in your journey, but I think you might be able to vouch for this now or soon, or it really does sort of focus you. It sort of grounds you in the way that Twitter kind of ungrounds you and unmoors you. It kind of puts you in the moment and goes, <clears throat> okay, this is who I am. You know, no matter what happens in the popular sphere in the world, 
I can't move away from this. This is sort of my rock hard root. And, and I'll never be able to break with this, even if this thing fails. Emotionally, the scar will always be there. And so it's those kind of things. It kind of, it, I, what I'm trying to say and sort of sloppily is what the right needs to do is it needs to figure out what the ground is and then start building there. And the ground is going to be the things that you love in a real sense, not the things that you think are powerful or that, you know, communicate some kind of mythological notion of America, the things that actually are asking for your fundamental loyalty and they have a draw on your fundamental loyalty. And of course, you know, a lot of people have done this already. And then the, and there's the next questions about what we do, but for like a complete noob, for someone who's just waking up from our Bugman existence and he's, he's stopped watching the daily show. He doesn't believe the mainstream news anymore. The first, I actually, that's a good, that's a good example, right? The, the first thing you need to do is to make sure that you're on the road to not being a bug man in your forties. And what's, and maybe people who are not familiar with the bug man trope, a bug man is somebody who is totally disconnected from anything his ancestors experienced in the past and any desire to influence what his ancestors will experience in the future beyond some vague technocratic notions like the, the amount of pleasure will increase or something ridiculous like that. He's just this atomized individual. The bug man only has identities that pertain to consumer products. And the main thing he likes is having political opinions that make him feel smart but they don't really actually give him an understanding of what will happen in the future or how good things could be procured in the future. The product is simply to feel smart. If you're a complete noob to these spheres, the goal is to escape from planet Bugman and to try to form yourself into something, someone who's standing on firm ground. That could be a losing position. At this stage, most of these firm ground positions are not politically winning. But at least you're not some kind of ephemeral construction of the system. At least you're not an identity that's 100% owned by the Democratic Party and global woke capital. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, that's probably, you know, if, if, if I were to have to, to muse on this topic, I'd probably give similar advice to people. Um and I think it's 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 a hard thing to to do to jump into because it requires action in the real world. It's it's really fun to LARP, especially in, in politics, and to kind of consume the politics that you know. Even even in the in the right sphere, you know, there's a lot of consumption of politics happening. Obviously, I think it's it's more you know interesting. It's more philosophically uh, you know infused, or you know it's it's more it's, it's greater because I'm in it. But uh, there there's also you know the fact that it's all ethereal and it's all signaling and it's it's all very oh, yeah. much about positioning yourself as you know someone who you know is, is smart or has whatever types of qualities you want to signal to to your audience you know screaming into the void um, and a parasocial relationships that come along with that i i don't know i have one goal for 2021 and as that is to be as little like 
the streamers like Vosh and Xander Hall and Demon Mama and even Destiny as little like that them as I humanly can be. And I know Destiny has his moments of of clarity every now and again, but I'm just I'm so disgusted with how that format has twisted our dialectics on YouTube. It's it's basically taken us back. It's basically just completely destroyed any kind of notion that we're in it for truth or we're in it for understanding things. And it's it's basically it basically has has cordoned that off and made it a game of, oh, you know, is my guy winning? Is my guy losing? Let's go support my team. Raw, raw. And it's just really disgusting. And the most ridiculous ideas like, I mean, here's a classic ridiculous idea that, you know, it used to be hard. But I think this is sort of a quintessential ridiculous idea. Um, late transitioning men competing in women's sports. Uh, you know, this, this idea will get people will say that this, it's a scientific fact that late transitioning trans men have no advantage in women's sports. And it'll get support for this on, on, on a stream, even though, even inside the highly progressive academy, no one defends that position whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because I'm I don't really um I, I don't really engage that much with the with this side of the internet. Um, I mean, I watch a few streams, but never never any leftist streams. I have to admit, uh, I probably should just to you know know the enemy. But um, I mean, what what about it is is so corrosive? Is it the monetization aspect, the the super chats, the you know the the incentive systems that that this opens up? Yeah, I, I did a video in 2018 uh, about um, Andy Worski and JF, John Francois, Gary Epi, where I was highly critical of the Super Chat system. And I said that they're essentially paid to be edgy, and this is destroying the right. Well, within three months of that video being created, the entire right-wing internet blood sports scene was completely destroyed. And what replaced it was the left wing internet blood sports, which they don't call internet blood sports. They call streamers. And, but it's the same formula. It's the same edginess for profit. It's the same super chat me and you're part of the team. It's the same sort of performative conversation with no point and no direction towards anything that's more meaningful. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess I always assume people would get tired of this. I guess they don't. I guess this is sort of what democracy looks like in the same way that Twitter is what democracy looks like when you when you remove all the safety features and just let it roll down the hill. This is going nowhere good. This is every part of the human person that I hate is augmented. The egotism, the paranoia, uh, the braggadocio, strangely enough, coming from people that would otherwise be effeminate. And it's like it's like the worst elements of masculinity and the worst elements of femininity rolled up into one parasocial bubble and is picking up steam as it as it picks up cloud. People get popular for being popular and more popular and and no understanding of anything is, is really a pain. Yeah, I think it's kind of, you know, the the final phase of, you know, the, the friend enemy reality, you know, it's like internet 
internet politics is just you know tribal tribal conflict by other means um people really just love to see it you know like you said it's 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 a blood sport and you know being especially after this year just being cooped up indoors um you know people have have really hunkered down with their particular fighter and uh and yeah and, and it's also i think it's it's you know how how all of this how the internet is monetized you know all incentives point towards um you know rage bait and like you said edginess and uh yeah it's you know people want to consume and they want to consume tribal visceral you know foaming at the mouth type you know battles between Vosh and whoever uh and everyone thinks the other person's a complete idiot um yeah i i really wonder what what would take um you know what what the the, the wrench would be that we could throw into the system to to kind of soften the the worst excesses of of the system but the, the problem that i see is that you know this is just an an outgrowth of this type of limbic capitalism it really does play to the the lower parts of of humanity and it really you know like these algorithms don't even need to know anything about you to 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 milk your uh, your you know your brain chemicals in such a way that you dish out you know either attention or money or both um so it's you know it, it, with every iteration it, it kind of extracts a little bit more of your soul um and it's yeah i don't know it's it's quite a a scary space because it it is mindless you know it's it's not like oh the ai has you know superhuman intelligence and it's you know thinks like a human it doesn't need to think like a human it thinks like an algorithm and it really it doesn't need to understand you to 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 game you um it's yeah i don't know it's it's scary <laughs> In the words of Jonathan Haidt, the human mind is a gigantic elephant being driven by a very small elephant rider. And the elephant rider is our rational, conscious brains. And the YouTube algorithm is talking only to the elephant. It's only leading around the elephant. And if the elephant moves somewhere, the rider really doesn't have a choice. In essence, our brain is being hacked. And I, I don't know. I just... You know, I, I, I want to not be part of it because it's not that Vosh really, like, the, I don't care that the Vosh exists, but the, the, the sort of body horror reason why I find this person so off-putting is because when I see him and people like him, uh, I'm worried that I'm just a slightly less degenerate version of him. And that just terrifies me. I, I just, I disabled super chats on my channel. For no other reason than to be less like Vosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's sort of ridiculous. I'm not that I was making a ton of money, but you know, you know, it, it helps certainly. I just, I just, I just don't want to do this stuff anymore, period. And I, I, I know maybe that's going to make me less popular. That's perfectly fine for me. I'm popular enough. Uh, you know, not that I'm anything, hold a candle to someone like Vosh, even for a second. Uh, but, but I just don't want to do this. I, it's not this sort of competition for cloud is just not where I want to be. And I don't think anyone on the distant side should want to be this. You might have to use this engine at some level, but there has to be a plan to to move forward where we don't have to use that engine anymore. Yeah. You know, like, um, you know, it's 
everyone participating in the liberal system is a liberal. And in a way, I, I, yeah, I, I, I echo your sentiment about, you know, just being a less efficient version, a less efficient machine than someone like, you know, like one of these top guys, you know, who's, who's has a, a well-oiled communications machine and they know how to, how to play the algorithm and they know how to, you know, the algorithm helps them. And it's, you know, it, it really does kind of like, it's a conflict that I have as well. Cause in a way, you know, I'm I am really really interested in these spaces at the same time I do monetize my stuff I do you know I get money out of this um not not very much but still you know it's quite you know it's it's, it's great that I can do that um but there is you know that compromise you know people people expect stuff you know I get like every day I get messages of people like telling me that you know I subscribe because you haven't addressed this you know you didn't push back enough you know how could you platform this person and stuff <laughs> like that so I'm like yeah I don't know it's just uh it's 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 a weird place to be in you know it's it's i don't know i'm still kind of adapting to it i really like to do it it's uh it's it's really fun to have these conversations and i learned so much from them um but at the same time yeah it, it is kind of corrupting you know it's you know i'm i'm an e-girl which is I don't know. <laughs> is, is that a good thing? Uh, you know, it, inevitably one is if you're a woman on the internet, you know, um, I don't know. And, and I'm a streamer despite myself, right? I do streams like it's so, so I'm in some sense, everything that I hate most about these people. But I think that this is sort of the fundamental lesson of classical morality is that everything that we want in a prominent sense, is corrupted. So we either have to be very, very prudent or very, very humble. And I don't know, I think with enough prudence and humility, there is a way through this jungle. But it's so treacherous. Yeah, yeah. My my personal comfort is that, you know, I... I feel that, you know, I, I represent a certain perspective that, you know, I don't, I don't think there are many women saying or being interested in this stuff and kind of opening at least this little corner of the Overton window, like trying to pry it open a little bit more. Um, the, the thing is, you know, I, I can't vouch for what's going to happen next. You know, it's, I'm, you know, red pilling a few more people. Uh, I think that's a useful public service. Um, but at the same time, it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm saving orphans from whatever, but I don't know. It's, I feel like there's, there's something to it. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, it can be useful to some people. And I get, you know, lots of messages saying that, you know, it's, it is useful to them, but. Uh. I think it's very useful. I, I, I have no intention of shutting down my YouTube channel. I mean, I think that, well, first of all, I think it would be dishonest because I kind of, even if I do go back on something that I said, I kind of want it to be out there, you know, like, like me saying that I'm a committed liberal in 2016. Uh, I kind of want it to be out there as a mistake in a conversation piece. Um, and I, I do think it helps people a little bit, but I, I'm just saying that we, you know, we haven't really found dry, we haven't really found dry ground yet. We're missing something and I, I'm not exactly so sure what that is, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost like you know, kind of an, an Eastern mysticism. You know, you you can't really get to to enlightenment if you're if you're kind of in the in the midst of it. Um, yeah, it's a <laughs> it's it's a weird one. Um, another thing that I wanted to to ask you about is um, you've you've had quite a lot of debates about the the sexual revolution, and I've I've written about this as well. Um, what what from your perspective is um, 
you know what what was the what was what was the name like an hour. Um, yeah, we can just pick up there. Okay. And I'll, I'll paste it. Yeah, to I, I, I have probably an hour more. So. Okay, perfect. Um, I'll probably go for maybe another half hour, and then I'll I'll, I'll let you get on with your evening. Um, okay. Sure thing. Oh well, it's morning here. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a morning. Oh shit, it's evening yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, I'm in California. <laughs> oh nice, nice. Well, I mean, nice. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the defense. I'm actually uh, leaving California, so strangely enough. Really? Where where are you going? Yeah. I'm going to New Jersey for a job. Oh nice. That's good. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it's it's probably uh more more chill. I have a friend in New Jersey and it seems seems to be quite a, a, a calm place to, to be at the moment. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I don't know about that. I'm just kind of trying to get the um get the highly coveted FU money, so to speak. Do, do people use that expression in are you in Romania? Yeah, I'm in Romania, but uh, they don't. I mean, they don't use a few money here, but I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, the concept must exist at some level, right? Yeah, of course. Less so because we've had, you know, lots of lots of communism, and you know, you could you could have a few money, but you didn't have a few uh, opportunities for consumption for a very long time. So, is it like uh, party membership or something like that? That's kind of like a few money, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as you're in the good graces of the party, you know, it's not. There, you could say a few to most people, except for uh, the people who are above you in the party. Well, I think we're rapidly entering that kind of dynamic in the West. So <laughs> I'm just hoping for a quick cycle. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, well, what, what are you thinking about this whole um, idea of, of exit um, of, you know, people trying to uh, distance themselves as much as possible, you know, go into a kind of a more decentralized direction, both in terms of where they live and, you know, how they make money and, you know, maybe using the internet for, for good rather than for, you know, of shredding your brain cells. Well, that's, that's the thing is I don't, I am, I am a parallelist. I think that pacifist parallelist i'm basically in the non-accelerationist and also non-populist side of the distant right so parallelism is what we have left but i think the difficulty is is that i really get irritated by these people who just say just go live in the woods live off the land you need to do it dave and i'm looking at my family finances you know with a young family and i'm thinking what the hell are you talking about? I mean, <laughs> do you know how difficult this would be? I mean, you know, you still have to pay taxes and the government's not going to forget that, right? And, and, you know, you can get cheap real estate in the middle of nowhere, but you're not going to have an income and your job is going to be to maintain the property and your family still needs to eat and be educated. Uh, I, I don't know what people are thinking. I think that this is more or less just a LARP for a lot of people. They they want you to go sort of the Varg Vickerens routes because it's entertaining for them to, to see you do that. Right. But they have no intention of doing it themselves. Yeah. And I think that the, the only way to go forward is sort of the way you lose weight by replacing the really bad stuff to basically make a change of lifestyles. That's sustainable. You know, a lot of people who try to lose weight, they just do like these massive fasts for 48 or, or maybe even two weeks or something like that. And they lose a lot of weight and then they stop it and then they gain all the weight back again. Um, the way that you, people keep weight off is by developing habits that are sustainable. And that's what I am really interested in. It's not this sort of radical LARP that almost very few people can do if for no other reason, for financial reasons. 
And then to come up with just lifestyle changes that I can implement and I can feel comfortable telling other people that they should implement. Uh, you know, maybe that's getting off of Twitter. Um, and I don't, I don't know. This is a, this has been great for me. I don't know if it's a solution for everyone, uh, but it's certainly sustainable for me. And there has to be, there has to be a productive way of using the internet because there's just no alternative to using the internet. But we can't just go live in the woods. It's that's not a realistic solution. Yeah, and it's it's also kind of a it's just a knee jerk reaction to you know whatever derangements we're we're facing because it is you know yes all of these tools are deranging all the, they're alienating they you know they 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 steal from us but at the same time you know living in the woods you know like if if I ask my my grandpa he, you know he you know he's he's deceased now but he uh he essentially came from a, a world before our time he got shoes i think when he was i don't know 12 or something he was just running around in like leather socks uh through throughout mm. a you know a, a disease-ridden you know farm his his whole youth and he had to take care of his smaller siblings and it was like you know you can imagine you know yeah moldova in the 1930s like yeah it was kind of a shitty thing and if you'd ask him like you know what, what what's your what's your position on you know living is with central heating and you know all the like amenities modernity he'd mm. just laugh and say you know this is this is paradise because he, he knew the the contrast and um but i think there there are ways to you know i think um i've had another guy on the podcast joe norman and he he calls it um cosmopolitan localism you know where um you kind of try to move away from the center um you know he's he's also a homesteader so he also has like a, a land and all that and i know mm -hmm. that's not necessarily attainable for everyone but yeah i think it's it's an interesting goal to have because um when you have land and when you um you know work with your hands and kind of are forced by your circumstances to make use of your surroundings and to kind of live in and in congruence with nature, um, it does kind of pull you back into reality. It's like you, you can't just be sitting on Twitter all day because, you know, there's, there's shit to do. You know, the chickens need to be fed. Yeah. You need to, you need to do stuff. Um, um, but there's also, you know, he's also like a complexity scientist. You know, he works from his computer. He has courses and he works on yeah. papers and stuff like that. Uh, so I think that lifestyle is, is really good. And if you can have it, you should go that direction, but it really isn't attainable for most people. Like it's not the kind of job that, that, you know, most people would be able to get. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. A lot of these things like be a landowner is, or be a farmer is that's just so out of reach of your average dissident that it feels very LARPy to me. It, it took me, a very long time and a lot of education to even get the small amount of independence I have right now. And I can't imagine how hard it would be for someone with significantly less means. Uh, so, I mean, we need to focus on the small little things we can do to not just get sucked into the abyss of modernity. And um, I don't know, I think we need to develop boundaries to a certain extent I think I think the the biggest problem, the biggest missing components, is how we're actually going to form communities. This is a very difficult thing to do in modernity. People move around all the time for work. It's a gig economy, and uh, and but people need it now more than ever, especially if we want to resist uh, living like we did in in twenty twenty. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's um, like you said, you know, there's, there's some a stratification that a lot of people that are in, in, in our circles, you know, kind of like, you know, intellectuals on the internet discussing ideas and stuff like that, you know, mm. this is a, it's kind of a, a bit of a, a LARP in itself. And it's, it's also quite, quite separate from the, the mainstream of people. Like even, even in 2020, like f- for people like me, I I had, I had bug man life, you know, living in the pod, you know, just yeah. kind of, you know, but it was because I could afford it. Like I could really actually pay people who were out, out there in the wilderness to, to bring me stuff uh, because, you know, I, I, yeah, it's, it's okay. I can do that because mm-hmm. I make enough money, but um, it's, you know, the, the divide between um, I think, online LARPing and the real world is still quite real for, for a lot of people. And it's, it's hard to, you know, I mean, now we're talking about, you know, what, what people like us, very particular type of people can do, uh, but most people really can't do, can't do this stuff. And they've been hardest hit by, by this. Um, so this kind of leads me to another question I want to ask you about, about populism. Mm. Cause I know you've had kind of some, some discussions <laughs> about. Uh, yeah. I I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to kind of definitively, bottom out on this this conversation this is the big one i'm trying to bottom out on but yeah go for it i think this is still a hot discussion inside um right-wing circles yeah i mean you know with, with trump um essentially you know the the shining star on the right-wing horizon was the idea that okay populism this is it you know the the people in a way almost kind of like a you know the the, the flip side of a marxist revolution we saw mm-hmm. you know people were taking back um you know the, the the popular virtues and kind of flipping the script from from the bottom up um didn't really pan out as well as people expected <laughs> i mean it, it, it didn't really uh, end up uh, you know victorious in, in the long run and by the long run i mean you know after after uh one term of Trump. Um, but, um, I'm, I'm curious what your, what your view is on this. Like, uh, is, is, is there a, a future for, for populism? I just don't see it. I and mean, this is the most, the thing I'm the most negative on is populism. Uh, not that I don't really appreciate folk culture and the common man. I, I, I do, but I, I, every time I see this populism, I see this false hope, this, pervasive phoniness that's just in every aspect of 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 what what it sort of touches and i don't i don't know i mean it's um i just don't see what what's gained by something like trump we we had four years of overconfidence followed by essentially a retrenchment of the establishment that was worse than when we started the process, I guess, you know, you could say it accelerated things, but that's not for me. Populism can't claim accelerationism as a victory. Uh, the, the idea of populism is that the popular pushback is actually going to be a real pushback and not something that accelerates its opposite or that forces per, uh, conservatives or right wingers or post liberals to, to, to go in a different direction. Um, I, I just don't see what's gained by populism. The, the world is ruled by elites or shadow elites. And the, the, popular, the, the popular dissidents, the peasants, their real power comes with an alliance with some elite force. Currently, in America at least, there is no real elite opposition 
to the mainstream as far as I can figure out. There are people who make noises in that direction, but there is no elite coalition that really wants to go in a different direction. And until there is, I, I'm not so sure what I'm not, I'm, I'm not so sure what, what can be accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the hope of some people kind of on, on the popular end of, of things is that, um, you know, you can, you can kind of build, you can incubate an elite, you can kind of, um, bring up people to the rank of elites. Um, but not, not sure I buy this myself. Um, but I do, I do see some, some figures coming up, but don't, don't even, don't think they're populist though. I think I would rather say that, you know, they're coming out of Silicon Valley and they're representing some of these ideas, which is definitely not very populist. I mean, it's, no. it's a kind it's a different type of elite, you know, it's more, know, more autistic, but you know, it's still, it's still very much, uh, kind of Ivy adjacent, um, when you say elevate people to elites, I guess I'd pause there and say yes and no, because if you have a population, I mean, elite does need a population to support it, right? And if that population is is very elevated and very sure of itself and highly educated and and has virtues, it's a lot easier to see how that population will generate an elite or how that population could be a great ally to some kind of dissident elite in the future. There is every, there is every benefit to be had for the elevation of people through education. I don't think there, there is any benefit to some kind of lowest calm denominator game where, you know, Oh, well, we're, we're the real Democrats. Oh, well, this is what Americans really think. Any kind of grassroots showing up to the polls to overwhelm what the mainstream wants. I, I don't know. I, 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 that's not true now in America. And I question whether it was ever true in the past. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, f- I feel like a, a lot of people were, were red pilled with, you know, a, a, many, many of the events of the last year, including the, the so-called insurrection and um, a lot of these, you know, kind of grassroots type movements that were, just wiped out with massive force and you know narrativized instantly um january 6th is the best example of i mean you're gonna see it's so funny january 6th is like a dissected frog of how this works right you you know what i'm talking about right the capital riots Uh, yeah the insurrectionists yeah that's great i mean it just it's so obvious and it's so it's so so like what you have is you have a protest that it was much less violent than the George Floyd protests of eight months earlier. They storm a public building, sometimes through breaking windows, sometimes apparently because it appears that police officers told them that, you know, this was something that, you know, that would be tolerated. Violence happens almost entirely from the government side. I I I haven't heard of any fatalities going in the opposite direction. And then what happens is they get called insurrectionists. The New York Times cooks up a phony baloney story from an anonymous source about protesters beating a cop to death with a fire extinguisher. That phony baloney story gets repeated by every other mainstream outlet till it becomes establishment truth and you get banned for denying it. And then three months later, the truth comes out. You see what actually happened. And nevertheless, uh, this gets narrativized into the worst thing that's ever happened to the extent that sitting Congress people like AOC 
uh, still claim to be traumatized by an experience of something that really never happened. Yeah, I think she wasn't even in the in the building. Um, yeah, no, yeah. she was nowhere near it, and and she's experiencing post traumatic stress symptoms from basically what is a a narrative that only happened in the imagination of the New York Times. Yeah, I think that the, the AOC uh, post traumatic stress thing is is another thing I'd like to kind of look at with you. It's sure. like this this um this turning of of inner emotions into political cudgels. Um, the idea that you know you can you can have these you know narcissistic outbreaks on television and that you know it's not something that's going to discredit you, but it's actually going to help you. It's going to you know I don't know give give your assertions some some um, power behind them. Yeah. You know it's like you're you're really crying about this, so it must be true. Um, this this to me feels like you. How can you even have politics when this is the level at at which things are discussed? Well, in the Aristotelian sense, this is politics, right? This is this is the demotic form of politics at its apex. Uh, AOC is a completely contrived figure. Everything is for the cameras. Everything is fake emotion. Nothing is prudent policy. Uh, another you could have equally mentioned is her foray into Twitch streaming, like getting in with the young people and playing the uh, was it playing Among Us with uh, with with leftist Twitch streamers for an hour, and this is just played up as being, oh my god, she's she's so down to earth. <laughs> I don't know what to say, and this is just the dumbest thing imaginable. I, I and it's not like I don't want. It's not like I'm jealous. It's not like I want a right-wing AOC. I'm just horrified with this concept writ large. I mean, this person is in power. And it seems like what they're most interested in doing is is sort of crafting a populist profile where they appeal to the lowest common denominator after they've gotten elected. There's no thought towards governing whatsoever. Uh, the Anything that comes after this has to be against this, either in a right wing or a left wing form. And that, that's why I can never really get behind Trump, because he was sort of a cartoon character. Uh, and that's fine. I think I think many people voted for Trump more or less ironically. And as, a, as an ironic choice uh, that then Trump is kind of he's kind of funny and, and maybe they, there could be some change in that direction just through the sheer ridiculousness of his existence. But with AOC, you see like the completely unironic post-modern candidate. And to me, it's just horrifying. I, I just I have no desire to participate in this whatsoever other than to mock it. But even then, you know, what am I mocking? Because this thing rules me, right? If I mock it, I'm just kind of mocking myself. The joke's on me, ultimately, because this is the aristocrat that that rules my life. Yeah. And the, the the painful thing is that people have come to, to expect this. You know, this is uh, like like you said, if you bring one of the founding fathers uh, back mm. uh, into into 2021 and showed them the, the spectacle of, of politics now, they'd probably, you know, have have something to say about it. But at the same time, you know, the, our, our perspective on history is also, you know, very much filtered by by whoever was there to chronicle it and, and offer their perspective. So I'm sure there was some some emotional layers to to politics back then as well but i oh yeah yeah like can't. sam adams right sam adams was just a complete loud uh you know he was just a complete 
you know, his father, he famously had a, a was a was a brewer, right? And this guy was just this guy was just beating people up in the streets with his little uh, little flash mob called the Sons of Liberty. The demotic instinct has always existed, but it's just never been so enthroned as it has been now. Yeah, and I think at at least uh, under under a different regime, you know, you'd have the the instinct that there's something wrong with this rather than the mm-hmm. idea that, okay, yeah, this is, this is a legitimate expression of, um, I don't know, of, of whatever, whatever it is of, of emotion or of, uh, of care of, um, empathy, you know, cause that's kind yeah. of the, these are the words that you keep hearing, you know, that the, the left is empathetic. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do people still say that anymore? I'm honestly, right? I, I wonder, right? Because you know, tolerance and empathy were sort of the the compliments they paid themselves in 2008 when I sort of began. I mean, 2008 probably was the height of my own progressivism, and that's when I began the the journey back towards the uber reactionary I am right now. And the the words that the left reserved for itself were tolerance and empathy. That doesn't fit anymore. That doesn't seem to be the. I don't recognize that in the left at all. Yeah, I think even now, whenever whenever I hear that, it's you know just leftists patting themselves on the back or just saying that you know oh you know the 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 right you know what they're missing is empathy. You know if the if the Republicans would just have more empathy, they they'd see the light. Um, I think it's, you know, just a way of explaining uh, their worldview to people and kind of like, like you said, retconning it and saying, okay, you know, whatever I am feeling at the moment, it must be empathy because I'm a good person. Um, and whatever you want is probably the opposite of empathy because you're a bad person. You know, it's just a friend enemy type uh, situation. I mean, this is so crude. You have to imagine that this is can't be sustainable. I suppose that this is just sort of we're going to have to put our faith in sort of political gravity at this stage, right? There was this line from Apollo 13, a movie from the 90s. Probably no one remembers it, but it, there's at this one point where they just turn the engines off and they're saying, okay, well, we just put Isaac Newton in the driver's seat. Let's hope the gravity well does what it does and slings, slingshots us back to Earth. And, you know, we're kind of in a scary situation. We have to imagine that, that since at all points in time, previously when people have given in to their ultimate demotic instincts, it's come back to bite them. We have to imagine that there's going to be some sort of political gravity that ends this from some direction at some stage. And uh, a clearer, a clearer dialectic can emerge on the other side of it. Yeah. But, you know, there's all these different factors. There's all these different technologies like social media that are here that weren't there in the past. So exactly. you know, I feel like there's no way that, you know, political gravity can be suspended indefinitely. But we have no idea when this is going to actually uh, come into effect due to how, you know, how commun- how humans communicates has been totally redesigned. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's... um. On the one hand, I feel like the, you know, the internet is jet fuel for social change because it does kind of push things to happen fairly fast. You get to these cascade effects quite fast in, in one direction or the other. But at the same time, it's, it's kind of eroded the human capital, you know, that could mm. actually be, you know, like the, the, the yeah. men with empty chests. 
um, you know, who who would stand up? What is there to to protect? You know, like th these are all like questions. That's kind of why I'm I'm so you know interested in, in kind of this post liberal moment because that's that's a lot why a lot of people are here because they're like okay the human the human itself has been denatured. You know, there's nothing to live for. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's the thing. Like, and even even if you know information travels at the speed of light, and you know, everyone's red pilled tomorrow, what are they going to yeah. do? You know, nothing at this stage, right? And this is this is something that I uh, this thing that's sort of odd to me. I don't know you. You're probably a lot younger than I am, but uh, I, I'm going to ask you if you've seen this phenomenon. I'm, I'm 32, it. so I I don't know. Probably okay, so not. Maybe we're <laughs> roughly the same age, right? Um. So so the uh, the um. Um, this is something that I've kind of realized, and I intend to write an essay on this at some stage. Uh, but uh, do you notice that sort of like the idea of coolness has kind of evaporated? You know, when, when I was in the 90s, I thought being popular and being cool were the same thing. And now to me right now, it's really cool. It's really apparent that there are different things and that people only care about being popular and they don't care at all about being cool. At least in the way that we usually thought cool worked. It, it, it's it's sort of strange, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think I, I I know what you're 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 coming at. Yeah, I think yeah. There there is definitely a, a drifting uh, a part of the two concepts, and yeah, I don't know. If, yeah, what what will be cool nowadays? I don't. It's, it's hard to imagine. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, um, you know, Vosh is popular, but Vosh is the exact opposite of someone who I would think is cool, right? Just in the same way that you could see a character like, um, I don't know, the Big Lebowski might be a bad example, but the big, you know, a lot of these images in the 90s of like the independent guy who's like doesn't have very much money, but at the same time, he's got kind of like this attitude that makes him cool, but like, you know, he's, He's in control of things. He's in control of his little space, even though he's not popular, he's not rich, he's not whatever. I don't know. It's this weird dynamic where I feel that people aren't focused on finding the aristocratic personalities. They're focused on finding the popular personalities. And I think that maybe there'll be a return to finding the aristocratic personalities at some stage. I don't know. Yeah, I think it might also have something to do with just uh, the, the the fracturing of, uh, of kind of hyper reality, because in a yeah. way you can you 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 chase clout in these sub subgroups and, you know, you don't really have like the centralized um, concept of cool anymore. I mean, if you're if you're a furry or whatever, <laughs> like into yeah. that subcategory, I'm sure there is a way to be cool or maybe something like it within your own subgenre of whatever um and then maybe people just kind of like to 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 chase that um but yeah it doesn't it doesn't it's not really cool because essentially cool was that like you said you know that aristocratic personality of um kind of detachment from outcome yeah. in a way you know just like what the greeks called apathetica right i think that's a good equivalent for the modern age but you know yeah detachment from things that don't matter right this so are the tyler durden's Right to let which does not matter slide away because it doesn't really affect you. Yeah, it might also have something to do with the the fact that you know people by being super plugged in to to hyper reality, you 
you're almost never uh, exempt from that anxiety that the internet gives you, um, which is completely, you know, the counter to to any, you know, apathetica or any any detachment from it. You, you're just you're, you're plugged in essentially. Um, you know, you can't yeah. be detached. You can't be plugged out. I hate to constantly bring up the streamers, but you know the the the, the sort of moniker that people like Bosch and the other streamers really hate. At one point, he said, "Submit to the mob." When he was talking about Kyle Rittenhouse, like Kyle Rittenhouse should have submitted his own life to the mob once they attacked him, rather than firing back at them. But when you when you think about it, submit to the mob is what hyper reality constantly tells us. Every time we obsessively check the number of people who are following us or subscribed to us or are watching, every time we submit to search engine optimization, we are essentially saying that dumber people should have a purchase on what we say or believe. I, I, I can't express how little I, I think of that, right? I, I don't want to pander. And I think that that's going to have to be a premium at some stage. Just saying what you think the reason why i'm here is so i can say what i think not so i can get clout by telling people what they already want to hear yeah yeah i think you're i think you're right about that it's uh there there is this you know being being in the in the eye of whoever wants to to watch is is kind of i don't know it it it, it is corrupting and you know i I think it's there. There is virtue in resisting it, but how much are you resisting it? I don't know. That's that's kind of all my question all the time because I'm like, okay, I feel like I am genuinely myself, but I'm sure I am warped in many ways by being exposed to so many people. Like I don't, a, a stadium full of people listens to my whatever brain farts every day, which is just absolutely nuts and i'm sure that changes me and i know i know i've changed because after after a while after a certain size of, of audience people you know you're you're less of a shit poster you're more of a target people want to tear you down so you don't want to really yeah. go balls to the wall with, with some things because you know it's going to be a shit storm but um i don't know it's 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 a it's a very weird space to be in and yeah it's it's, it's hard to navigate yeah i guess i just have to I just have to kind of rely on the instinct that this motion is coming to a head or will come to the head in very short order for a civilization, it, just because I don't think it can continuously get more and more demonic, you know? I'm saying demotic, not demonic. I, I believe that's the correct word. Uh, basically, crudely populist is what I mean. Yeah, yeah, but you know, even even if people mis mishear you, it's probably not not too bad. <laughs> the metaphor. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, there there's there's sort of I think they're in a Carlylean sense they they are they are linked at the hip, right? Yeah, it's um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a it's an interesting time to be alive, and I think it's an interesting time to be on on the internet, and uh, you know, I'll I'll keep being here in one way or another, and I know you will too, even if you're not yeah. necessarily you know bathing in the in the mainstream of, of <laughs> brain disaster that is Twitter. Um, yeah. Uh, before before I let you go, I want to ask you the question of the show, which is, yes. um, do you have a, a subversive thinker, um, you know, writer? Could be, you know, dead or alive, um, that you think deserves a bit more interest, there's a bit more readership, a bit more clout. 
Oh, good Lord. That's tough. If I, if I knew you were going to say that, I would have thought about it a little bit more. Uh, I'm going to be doing a video where I just, I'm, I'm packing up to do a, a, a long move. So I, I promised my fans I'd do a video where I just talk about every single book on my bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Um, on my bookshelf right now, there's Boethius and there is um, uh, Boethius wrote Constellation of Philosophy. He's one of the few people that wrote in the dark age, which I think is like, you know, that's a hard read. I don't think it's very relevant for our time. In some sense, it's hyper relevant because it's very much uh, uh, an image from a declining civilization and a consolation, you know, a discussion of what it means to sort of go down with, with, with your principles intact. There's Julius Evola's ride the tiger. Uh, I'm not a big Evola fan uh, at all. But I'm finding a lot more to like about in that book than than his um, uh, revolt against the modern world. I find him to be a little bit pagan for my taste, and uh, but but I think it's still worthwhile. I, I don't know, you know, to, to be quite honest. Um, to be quite honest, I I really would urge people. You know, as opposed to all of these thinkers, I could list Carlyle, I could list, uh, you know, um, Demaestra, who's always one of my favorites and all this stuff. I don't really like Carlyle, even though I recognize him as essential. I list Burnham, but but that's actually not what I want to tell people. Uh, if I were to communicate, aside from coming up with my favorite reactionary author, my favorite non-progressive author from the last 300 or perhaps even the last 3,000 years, I would tell people that they should spend more time reading fiction and fiction that they genuinely enjoy, even if it's pulp fiction, even if it's something that's stupid. It, I think if you, in, if you engage with a fictional character and they seem like they come from a fresher time, they seem like they're having more human experiences than you're capable of experiencing in your life right now, even if it's like the stupidest fiction imaginable, uh, that's worthwhile because it has you kind of going to the source. The source of all of our politics is this desire to be more human. And reading a tactics manual for how to procure that, we kind of we kind of get into this overly abstract egghead version of all of this. Reading a fictional work like Conan the Barbarian or Solomon Kane or something that's utterly stupid like that at least for men, and I'm sure there's female equivalents, uh, at least for men, it kind of like links you back with this primal desire to be in the moment, to be part of this conflict or part of this reality that seems imminent in a way that nothing in 2020 seemed imminent. You know, in, in 2020, everything we experienced was hidden behind a screen with 35 layers of, of, of meta commentary attached to it. If you go to a fictional work and you really allow yourself to enjoy it, or if you go outside and, and read it, that's actually the ultimate experience is to just go outside and read the stupidest fiction book imaginable that you really enjoy. You're kind of experiencing a story, uh, a human saga, in a way that's more real than anything was real in 2020. And if that's not the starting point for some kind of post-liberal or post-post-modern or or post-left view of the world, then I don't, I don't have a better solution for you. I think it really has to start with a desire for something that's more wholesome and then move forward with theorizing. 
we can't be scientists lecturing birds on how to fly. We have to have a desire to fly and an experience of the real world first. Yeah, that's that's very very beautifully put, and I I, I completely agree with that. Like I was I was looking at my Kindle recently, and it's mm. chock full of you know just pure political theory all of it i have enough i have a few like baby books in there but it's just like yeah it's like i i exhaust myself just just thinking about it but it's it is really interesting but at the same time like you say it it does kind of warp you it kind of puts you in this detective mindset that if you could just figure out what exactly it is that is you know leading (laughs) to this to this point then you could just tell people and somehow the gordian knot would just explode and everyone would be happy and you know heaven would descend on earth uh but actually um, reminds you how did they solve the gordian knot right yeah. <laughs> just, they didn't solve it by figuring it out, right? They solved it because some barbaric Macedonian, is that where Ramonia is? Somewhere near there, right? Some yeah, barbaric Macedonian just much. came in with a battle axe and hacked the damn thing in two, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's why, you know, you need to log off, touch grass, <laughs> go yeah, outside. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, but I want to say, like, Fiction writing and enjoyment is part of that, right? It, like it's very much a part of that. Uh, stories come before our political theory, and, and 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 you know an intuitive consciousness of our own humanity predates a theoretical understanding of it, and the valuing of our own humanity really has to prefigure any kind of values that we take to to a political sphere. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, it's in a way. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw back to to a person that's not necessarily very popular nowadays in, in the the right wing, Jordan Peterson. But he did have mm-hmm. he did have something to say about you know the the things that are are truer than true, and and narrative yeah. that way is you know is kind of a meta truth. And I think that's that he was really uh, on the money with that because. Yeah, like you say, you know, fictions might be a bit truer than your Burnham sometimes. Uh, even yeah. though it's really fascinating, and I think people should read it. But still, yeah, yeah, I think just... or, especially the fiction that still appeals after you've been red pilled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh God, yeah. I mean, go back and read the fiction, and and find what really seems true to you, and still like pleasant to read. You know, and 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 I think you'll look at it with different eyes. Yeah, I think you people should read the classics. Probably, you know, just go maybe a bit, a bit deeper into history because you know, if you if you read stuff from twenty twenty, you might might be uh, it might be a bit jarring. Yeah, <laughs> well, of course, of course, <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dave. This was a pleasure speaking to you after watching hours upon hours of your uh, excellent <laughs> videos uh, in the last few years. So, uh, thank you so much for for doing what you do and. Um, Yeah, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you for the kind words and thanks for having me. If you like what you're hearing, want to see where I take it, and maybe want early access to episodes, bonus episodes, access to the AMA, or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general, head to my Patreon at patreon.com slash aksubversive. Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible, so thank you.